0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.
1: This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley. It's anger. Let me out of fear. Safety checklist is complete.
0: Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh no.
1: Hello. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. <laughs> I'm sick with this, I'm sick with this. Did you wasn't a part, I
0: Happy 4th of July to all my American brothers and sisters to the South. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Shane Told. I hope you're having a blast, fun in the sun the very, very hot sun. Hope you're out on the patio with family and friends, grilling up some good food, drinking some ice-cold beverages. We just celebrated Canada Day. It's on July 1st. Perfect weather in Toronto. I just love it. Well, sometimes I choose not to do an episode this week, but I have one I want you all to hear, an absolutely great episode with a guy who has an amazing story, a pretty crazy story of how he got here. This is a very entertaining episode I hope you enjoy it Whether you're traveling Whether you're maybe taking a little break To walk around the block To maybe get away from the family Sometimes you need a little break From crazy Uncle Ernie I know how it is But this week Tommy Vexed of Bad Wolves Is here on the program If you've been listening to any sort of rock radio You've undoubtedly heard them Covering the Cranberries classic Zombie It is all over the place right now A huge hit but this is a great story of how this song came to be. Very, very interesting. Not just, not just another cover on the radio. This is really, really a cool story. So sit back, enjoy. This is a great chat. Before we get into that, I want to thank everybody who tuned in last week for my conversation with Anthony Green of Circus Survive and Seosin. It was a huge episode. I had so much incredible feedback from people that have been listening to the show for a long time. New fans of the show, welcome. I hope you're back listening to this week again. It really is a cool thing and and thank you to Anthony too for for an amazing outpour of honesty and emotion and everything. It was just wow. it was a perfect episode and thank you everyone so much for tuning in. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, it's very easy. I have an email address. It is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my email. I try to get back to everybody. I know I had a lot last week, so maybe I missed you. I do try, and I do read them all, so please hit me up there. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter, uh, at Shane Told or at Leadsingersyn, S-Y-N. I'm on Instagram as well. Check me out on there, and also be sure to like us on Facebook. What's up with me, you ask? Well, I just got home from Europe with my band Silverstein. We had an amazing time over there. Shout out to everybody that came out to Vainstream Festival, Grass Pop, Aerodrome Festival in Czech. We had such a good time. And now we're gearing up for eight shows of the Vans Warped Tour. I'm looking forward to it, but I know I'm going to be very sad to see it over. Our last show is in New York City, and it's going to be like so sad and it all coming to an end after doing this tour. Wow. I mean, I've been to it every year since 1997 and I've been performing on it since 2003. So make sure you come out and say hello if you can. The dates we're doing are Toronto, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit, Buffalo, Scranton, New York, and Boston. So check out those dates. Uh, tickets available now uh, at vanswarptour.com, Going very quickly, they've had a bunch of them sell out. So make sure you get tickets. Come say hi and come see us playing a very emotional and ripping, it'll be still be ripping show at the Vans Warp Tour. I didn't take this week off. I almost did. Once in a while, I do take a week off. And for some people, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard because some people love this show so much and believe me, I love you for it. They love this show so much that waiting one week is hard, let alone waiting two weeks for a new episode. If you are one of these people, if you are a lead singer syndrome super fan, please check out the lead singer syndrome all access club for as little as $6 a month. You get bonus episodes, extra content, and of course, a great community with other fans of the show. You also get access to merchandise, question and answer sessions with me. I play some tunes on there, all kinds of surprises. We run contests, stuff sent to your house, uh, all this stuff. I I could go on and on about it. I just want you to check it out because it really is what helps me keep this thing going. So please, if you do listen to the show, if you are able to help out, go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Again, as little as $6 a month gets you in, and it really, really does go a long way. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. And shout out to all my sinners worldwide. And another shout out to rockabilia.com. If you need merch, that's where you go. Rockabilia.com, the best in the business. I am wearing actually a shirt that Rockabilia sent me. They hooked me up. They hooked me up with some stuff. It's an awesome Morrissey shirt. He's sitting in a chair, like getting his hair cut, like at the barbershop. It's amazing. It's super good quality. It's not crooked or anything. It isn't like some of the stuff you find on eBay or Amazon. Even Amazon has wrong bootleg crap. That's not going to happen with Rockabilia.com. So head over there. Use promo code PCJabberJaw and you'll save 15% off your entire order today. Rockabilly.com, PCJabberJaw. All right, let's get in to this week's episode and my conversation with Tommy Vext of Bad Wolves.
1: If I die-
2: Hello. What is up, dude? Hey, man. How are you? I am good. I am happy to announce that I just took a poopy.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're a little late. It's okay. Nature Apologies. calls.
2: That's all yeah, right. Yeah, I was like, I had my tea, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, and I was like, well, it's better just to be late than to have to stop in the middle of the interview to go take a dump. As yes. You know, it's not well, fun.
0: You know, I, I'm on this new movement, and I know... A lot of, you know, people might say, oh, it's not manly to sit down Uh, when you pee. However, I'm fully on the sit down while you pee train. Really? Dude, you got... There's there's a lot of reasons. The first reason is you're not going to spill everywhere. You don't even have to pay attention where you're peeing. Second of all, you can use your phone while you're peeing.
2: It's great. Uh, Third of
0: all, if, like, you know, you're peeing and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, this is not just a piss... You don't have to do the whole thing where you finish peeing, take your pants and then off, turn
2: around. And turn yeah, yeah, around.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: so I just go straight for the can, sit down, relax, take a load
2: off. You know. You know what's funny? I I I shit and then take a piss after.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I, this is Isn't getting that weird? this is quite a conversation now already. But uh, the the yeah. is it even possible to shit and not piss? Like, can anyone do that? You always piss no, a little I- bit.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I always feel like after I take a shit, I'm like, uh, let me just, let me just, just let me just make sure, Man. and then I just double check. I'm also, I also wash my hands before I use a public bathroom.
0: It makes sense though. That's that's yeah. another thing. I've been saying this for years. So here's here's the thing, right? So let's say you get you get <laughs> up in the morning. Let's say you got a regular nine to five job, right? You get up yeah. in the morning, you take a shower, you put your clean penis and your clean underwear and your clean pants. Okay. Yeah. Then you go to work. You start working. You're getting your hands all dirty. The first thing well, wait, you do. Hold
2: on. We got to think of. We we need to talk about the treachery of the, the commute. Okay. First of there's all, there's that too. Yes. Doorknobs, bro. If you if you have kids, forget it. Maybe you took your dog for a walk and it took a shit, and maybe you thought <laughs> that you picked up the poo bag right, but a little spectacle of of dog fecal matter got on your fingernail while you were throwing the poop out and you you smell, but you didn't really get and you're like okay and then you touch your steering wheel and now your steering wheel is covered with your daily dog fecal matter because it's such a small level it's undetected by the human nose and then you go to work and you open doorknobs and then even the doorknob to the bathroom stall True. You gotta count money. You pay the toll, and you reach for a pocket full of change and singles that have been in a stripper's butt, male and female. <laughs> it's not a good look. You know this is how people get pink eye.
0: <laughs> this is true, but it's right. You take you're taking your clean you're taking your clean penis out of your clean pants and putting your yeah. dirty ass hand on it.
2: Wash your yeah, hands no, first. Then okay, yeah. wash them after too. If you if you had a fucking if you had like one of those CSI fucking goggles, like those those CSI lights where the, they find the semen, and you touch your dirty dick on your hand, your a dirty hand on your dick, your dick would look like it was marching in the fucking eye of Sour <laughs> army. Okay?
0: <laughs> oh, I appreciate the Lord of the Rings references. Oh,
2: man. Yeah, what wasn't... a great...
0: This is great already. Tommy, uh, good to have you, man, on the show. Um, Thanks. <laughs> we haven't met before. Uh, my name is Shane, and I sing in a band called Silverstein. Um, you sing in a lot of bands. You've done so much you've been slugging yeah. it out for the, basically two decades uh, you know and, I'm, and, I'm,
2: yeah, I am old yeah yes, so well you know
0: we're all old and, uh, yeah. and and it really is really great to see you know your new band the you know quote unquote super group Um, coming in here, (laughs) I'm hearing you guys on the radio, you guys are doing all these big shows, like, I looked at your tour dates, pretty much the rest of the year, you're playing a nice combination of, of, of big festivals, opening for other bands, and also some of your own shit, so it really is, like, you must just be on top of the world, man, you must be feeling great.
2: I mean, I'm pretty tired, um... (laughs) There's the honesty. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's all, it's all, uh... You know, I think like the guys in the band. We've all been in so many different bands, and we've been touring musicians for so long. We're almost like it doesn't feel like it's happening to us. I think that that's kind of been the overall undertone of the tour. Like we're on, we're doing this headlining run in the states. That was, um, I was very, I was terrified to do because I'm like our album came out May 11th, and I'm like the the band has been out, the band debuted you know may 11th of 2017 we've been we haven't done this you know we did our first tour um through the through our album cycle so i was like there's no way that we're going to be able to headline you know these rooms and you know the shows are packed they're sold out or almost sold out it's kind of insane totally so uh you know so we're kind of like oh cool like people like us that's fucking weird
0: yeah, it's, it's weird. And, and, you know, being a new band is, is scary enough as it is. Um, but, when you know, when you guys basically like your big single that's playing on the radio, I mean, you have three singles out, and they've all done pretty well. But obviously the biggest song is your cover of Zombie by the Cranberries. Yeah, and, yeah. And that being the focal point is, I don't know if that puts more pressure on you or takes a little pressure off, knowing that at least we had this one banger. It's like everyone's going to go crazy. But then is it like, well, what about these people that are coming out to see that song, and then they're just to check out the show? It's like you have to impress your existing fans already, right? It's it, it's sort of a yeah, weird yeah. a weird um, um, situation.
2: Well, I think that like this band for all of us, you know, coming from bands like from me coming from Devil Dr- uh I'm sorry, John coming from Devil Driver, yeah. And me coming from Divine Heresy and Doc being in God forbid and Kyle being in the early inception of in this moment and yeah. you know, bury your dead, like we're a metal band. You know, if you yeah. listen to our record, which is like totally. a lot of them a lot of the metal like out the writer the writer ups and the reviews on the record were like people were like, I came here to like all the metal heads were like, I came to hate zombie. But holy shit these guys are brutal. You know? Right, right. So it was just like this overall um you know I think I think that zombie is kind of a um it's been this very strange phenomenon. Totally. You know I think that you know there's tragedy surrounding the situation. Um obviously we were heartbroken when you know our our collaboration with Dolores from the Cranberries who wrote the song <laughs> Obviously, when she she passed, everyone knows the story. Um, we were devastated. Well, it
0: was literally—I mean, for people that don't know the story, it was literally as I read. You guys were on your way to like pick her up to record her collaboration when you got the news, right?
2: Yeah, I mean she, well, that she, is she, crazy. She was she flew to London to record vocals on the song. We had already we had already recorded it, um, and it was finished. And we sent it to her through our label. Uh, and Dan Wait at the who is the managing director of the UK office for Eleven Seven has been a family friend of Doors for twenty years. They've known each other since they were kids, basically. And we r- merely were trying to get approval. So when she came back and wanted to sing on the song, like I, as I was a Cranberries fan as a kid, so I was like, "Oh my God, this is the cool!" You know, I was yeah. I was like so validated and vindicated in our efforts to kind of. Uh, uh, make an interpretation of the song that I considered that was a masterpiece it was ambitious to tackle the song to begin with so to have the actual writer the master say you know to the apprentice yes this is so good I want to sing on it that you know it was it was beyond a dream you know and then it went from being this kind of euphoric positive state to this like really sunken in heartbroken tragedy Um, and then you know the ultimate decision to kind of donate all the proceeds to her children um you know and just put it out i don't think we had any expectations on what was going to happen we just were like whatever you know this happened and i think the best thing that we could do is we'll just you know it was either shelf it or you know make them like use it to memorialize her 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 body of work and then and then in giving the money to her children, we were we kind of just put our hands off of it, and we we're like, okay, right. this is not our business anymore. Like this is, you know, uh, this is us paying tribute, and that's that. And the world responded in this crazy way. So it's no, been-
0: it's, it's it's kind of a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. It's just amazing, you know. I, I first time I heard the song, it was it was I was on the radio and I heard it, and you know, I knew that she'd passed, and I you know, and I knew the whole story, and I felt like, okay, this is a song that's in you know tribute to her and i felt a sadness you know i felt yeah i really felt something because you know of her death but it's really really kind of incredible and this is how music how you know music is so open to interpretation that if she had not passed the song would have felt different i think you know, and it's and it goes from a triumphant song that's almost like a a rally song. You know, with like yeah. the, the lyrics in the song, like even how you updated. It, I love that the same old yeah. theme here in 2018. You know, based on the the lyrics, I love that you did that as a rally cry, but now it takes on a whole different meaning. Which that that can't be lost on you. You must have thought about that.
2: Uh, well, I mean, she you know, Dolores really liked the changes. You know, I think that. The reason that we wound up covering the song because it had the song in itself, you know, the meaning behind her lyrics, Uh, you know, she originally wrote the song about the bombing in Warrington, England by the IRA that killed two little boys. And, you know, it was really like a protest anthem of uh, about collateral damage that not like one life lost is too much. And you see the kind of world issues that we're having when it comes to terrorism and also uh, domestically in the United States, the mass gun violence that we're seeing. uh, and, And, you know, that was my original reasoning for changing those small, you know, those adaptations of the lyrics, because what she was talking about 22 years ago, 24 years ago, is almost more relevant today when you consider the mass amount of damage of collateral damage that's done when people are, you know, trying to either make a statement or whatever their reasons are, um, uh, when innocent lives are lost. And so, uh, now, you know, since she's passed, it really, really galvanized, uh, the change, you know, and it's, it's sometimes I don't, you know, on a spiritual level, like, right. Sometimes it's just, You don't really understand why things are happening in life and they just kind of happen, you know? And a lot of things in my life have seemingly been tragic and they turn out to be a certain way. Um, I don't really know how effective we were in our efforts to try to make a positive out of such a negative thing, um, but that's all that we could have kind of hoped for. And I think that a lot of fans of the Cranberries uh, and and different generations, basically what we're seeing on tour is parents, grandparents, kids, grandkids all singing the song, you know, in these arena shows that we're opening for bands like Shine Down and Five Finger Death Punch. And they're coming to the merch booth and they're like, you know, oh, you know, I didn't know about this song. And my my daughter showed me the song or like my grandson showed me the song and then I showed them the original. And so it's kind of, we're able to kind of transform the song to kind of Pass Dolores' message on to younger generations, and simultaneously mourn with other artists and fans who love the Cranberries as much as we did. If no, that makes sense,
0: it totally it totally makes sense. It's a, it's an incredible incredible thing. Um, you you touched a little bit on your you know your life and things in your life that have have been you know tragic or or hard. And I know. You know, you've had some shit go down in your personal life, and and I, I kind of want to start from the beginning, if you don't mind. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's I really I really think it would be uh, uh, do you a disservice to just gloss over the first let's call it twenty years of, of your career that led you here, um, and, and how you got there. So I mean, I know you're you're from New York. Um yeah yeah uh, I'm what from was Brooklyn. your what was your upbringing like um I know you have a brother you've talked about that but um a twin brother but uh what was yeah, your upbringing yeah. like uh, uh when you were growing up
2: Well I mean early life I grew up in the in, in like the 80s and 90s in Brooklyn and uh things were a lot different there then um it wasn't uh you know it was uh No craft beer bars? First- no, there were no craft beer <laughs> bars. If you were, if you were like, I'm too light skinned to go to Bushwick, basically, like in the in the '90s, <laughs> basically get kidnapped. But um, you know, it was a different culture and a different time. Um, my brother and I, uh, our mother was a drug addict, our birth mother, and we were abandoned at in, at birth in uh, at Greenpoint Hospital. And my parents that adopted us, um, they're really nice folks. You know, my dad was a, a Vietnam veteran. He instilled a lot of uh, a lot of those kind of um marine values and and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and you know they were just like n- nice irish people you know my brother and i are, are mixed race kids they and my parents kind of just they didn't see that you know right. they really were they were really awesome and and um my dad was sober for for most of the beginning part of my life and we had kind of a normal life you know and uh we went I we wound up. Uh, my brother and I went. Would you know? We went to school. We lived in this Irish neighborhood. I, I didn't really understand racism until I went to school, because I went to a school and there was still segregated lunch. You oh, know, geez, like, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like I went to school at, at, in in Garrison Beach in two seventy seven for like for for my I don't know what you call it. Like m- not middle school. Like you know, from kindergarten up through third grade or some fourth fourth grade and uh you know there was hot lunch which was all the all the black kids would go eat hot lunch and they would eat and one into the cafeteria and that was like kind of state-funded government subsidized sponsored food and then there was you know the, the the i grew up in a neighborhood that was racist and so the neighborhood was all irish uh like irish and italian and they would send their kids to school with lunch and then put them in the opposite end of the school in the, in the other auditorium in, in order to separate them from the black kids wow. <laughs> and it was like yeah and so like i so so when i got to school everyone was confused because my parents were white and i ate cold lunch my parents <laughs> sent me to school at lunch you know what I mean? So the black kids were like, why are you eating over here? And and the white kids were like, why aren't you eating over there? <laughs>
1: so it's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know what I
2: mean, so it's just weird. It's like, it's kind of interesting to me because, uh, you know, as I've gotten older, like, you know, Doc from God forbid, he, he's in my band. He was my first mixed race friend. And we didn't meet till I was like 21. I wow. never met him. Yeah. I'd never met him. It wasn't okay.
0: My best friend in high school was mixed race too. And also, uh, you know, a rocker. So, you know, it's yeah, it's all it's you know I'm I'm from Canada maybe it's a little bit different but you know I, I never thought about it you know I I,
2: I think times have changed drastically yeah, drastically yeah. like it's almost like cool you know what I mean I, I you know I go back to New York and I, I go to Brooklyn and like everybody's mixed everything like mixed couples and, and it's a yeah. it's a beautiful thing totally um, but you know like not so like not so long ago it was not okay you yeah. know I, I grew up in a neighborhood where like some of my friends parents like that I hung out with as like when I was like 12 would call me the nigger boy Jeez. like it was great yeah it was crazy so I always like didn't feel like I belonged or whatever I never really felt felt like I fit in until I found the, the like metalheads you know what I mean and then I started kind of like getting into I mean I, I really really was into grunge music um you know my my my, my parents my dad was a huge Beatles fan and classic rock. And obviously coming from Brooklyn, you couldn't escape hip hop. So like, uh, you know, our friends were like in the biggie and the beastie boys and, and NWA. And, you know, it was like, we weren't allowed to have records with the N word in it. <laughs> so we'd have to steal them. Like we would literally steal records, you know, like black sheep, <laughs> crisscross and all this stuff. We were kids. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We were a little, like we were a little hoodlums. So, yeah, you know, we yeah. were like, steal cds and records and tapes and we'd make tapes and trade them and um you know and then i i, I remember in 1992 i went to see the crow and i bought the soundtrack oh yeah you know, I, and I love the soundtrack I heard, yeah and i heard the badge by pantera and i yeah. was like what is this you know <laughs> and it was a rap and i was just like nine inch nails pantera you know um my friends like Metallica, but I didn't like Metallica till I got older. Oh yeah, but I got into I got into all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you know, my cousin was had posters of Danzig and Megadeth on the wall. Like, I'll never forget. Like, I went in his room and his he was like his parents were super mad at him, and he because he had put up the um, euthanasia poster. Oh yeah, with and the, I was like, yeah dude. With the- the babies, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. i was yeah. like, this is the most gnarly thing. I'm <laughs> like, John worship Satan. That's so cool, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> and then one day, like, I was, um, how did I start singing? I was, my mother was the soloist in the church choir, and she always sang the Christmas, like, in the Christmas thing every year. We'd have to go there, and I hated it, but obviously it had a good impact on me. Cause I saw her singing every year, and I was like, I want to do that. And um, I had been listening to all these bands, and I try to sing along at home. And um, my my neighbor, the neighbor, my grandmother's neighbor, had a band, and I was like 14 years old, and they were like, dude, we're gonna, you know, they were playing like White Zombie and all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. They and they had weed, so I was like. My brother went over there and and to smoke weed, and they were like, "Man, we need a singer." And my brother was like, "Oh, my, you know, my bro sings that death metal. Like, you know, he didn't know. He's like, listen to that Satan music." So they were like, so they they called me over, and I went over there, and and they were like, "Yo, can you sing?" And they're like, "What bands do you like?" And I was like, listening to the bands, like, "Okay, he's cool." And I sang, uh, "What was it? Stone the Crow," on the phone, on, to the nice. drummer. I love yeah, it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then they were. He
2: was like, and the drummer's name was Jim. His name was Jimbo, and he's like, okay, he's in the band. We got a show in three days. I'm like, where is it? He's like, at the baseball field at five. Get ready for practice tonight. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love we it. The, I love. Yeah, it. we were the worst worst band ever. We were called <laughs> the dogs. The dogs of war.
0: Dogs of War. Was,
2: that's not that was, bad
0: a name. I've heard worse, worse, much worse band names for sure. Oh,
2: we we uh, we changed our name to Maniacal Disciple soon after our first show. So this was how old were you? Fourteen. You were 14, 19, and, and 1996.
0: Okay, so we're almost the same age. I'm I'm born in nineteen eighty one.
2: Okay. So yeah, I'm eighty two. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's that's what blows my mind when you talk about like segregated lunch and stuff. Like I. we're the same age I can't even imagine that you know like
2: just you're from Canada eh?
0: I know but still I just I I you know I guess there really is a difference you know between Canada and America I just I don't I don't I don't know about much about it I guess you know. Well, as, it's also, as a, it's
2: important it's important to understand that at that time the, these are specific there are specified places where that shit exists. It's not like everywhere. No, but you, you, know you know think I mean? New like York premises. City is
0: like a place where it's so much diversity? I mean, I guess that's not a new that's a new newer thing, you know.
2: Well, you Incredible. know, if you look at like there's a really good there's a movie called Twenty Fifth Hour with Edward Norton, and at the end of it, he talks about how you know, at the top of 2000, 1999, every neighborhood was still segregated by race. It it just was. Yeah, Yeah. like the Italians stay with the Italians and the Irish are over here. and You know what I mean? And these guys are over there, you know, the the Chinese people stay here and these people stay there. Like the Jamaicans are over here. The Haitians and the Dominicans don't like each other. The Puerto Ricans don't want to be called Dominican. The Dominicans don't want to be called Mexican. Like, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy. It really, really mattered um, for a long time. I mean, it was to some people, I'm sure it still does, but yeah, yeah, we've kind of moved on in society from that. Absol- for the most absolutely.
0: Part. So, so um- we took it all.
1: We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Car- we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will i become Senua saga. hellblade 2 play it now with game pass
0: just to talk to talk more about your family growing up i mean obviously you're you're it's been, been talked about in other interviews and stuff that your your brother was was a drug addict and uh you guys had a obviously a big issue and he's now in prison
2: well yeah i mean you know my my brother and i were like basically like um my it's interesting because to t- to not include you know some form of mental health awareness uh would be not to tell the story in its entirety um okay. my brother started being incarcerated in juvenile mental institutions from the time he was 10 years old so no my my parents didn't know what to do they didn't know what was going on and so you know we went from having this kind of normalcy this regular home life to the cops being called, um, you know, he would, he, he was very violent to my mother. My dad worked two jobs. So he, he just, and no one could understand what was wrong with him. And I, you know, I didn't get it. You know, I'm like, I don't understand. Why don't you just stop? And he literally was suffering,
1: you yeah. know, and so yeah.
2: his, his, uh, his, his, I don't know if the word incarceration is the right word, but it became more frequent. Um, ultimately my my father had been sober for 20 years he wound up drinking over it and my mother took my sister you know and ran away basically they moved away uh, to be safe and the house that I grew up in kind of changed drastically yeah. um, almost overnight and um, you know and, and you know school stopped you know it's all those things like I was, I was doing the band stuff and then School just—it was just like I went from being a straight A student to not going to school at all, and then you know there was no—we had no money, you know—and my dad was drinking and he wasn't really present, so we sold drugs. And as I got older, it just kind of got worse and got in wrong, got involved with the wrong crowd, And, and um, you know, you know, it went from being like getting in trouble or like getting in bar fights or getting stabbed or you know to. Eventually, I wound Jeez. up getting. Uh, by the time I was twenty, I was nineteen or twenty, and I got run. Like I, some rival gang members broke my skull with a with a with a baseball bat, the front of my skull. Like my head's been busted twice, and then ran me over with a car and beat up me and my friend. They almost killed us, you know. And that's when I, uh, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I just, I was like, I'm out of this lifestyle. And I focused on music and. You know, my brother kind of stayed in that world, and I took some opportunities. You know, I just, like, I got a job doing security because I've always been a big guy. So I started working at nightclubs uh, and venues in New York City where the concerts were. Yeah. So I started to learn who worked at what record labels. I would work, I would stand the VIP and read the the list of names. And <laughs> I'd be like, oh, this guy works here, and that guy works there. Right, just right. Like I could just, you couldn't just Google everybody.
0: Right, um, Google probably didn't exist at that time. It was probably still a web crawler or uh, or Hotbot or whatever.
2: Yeah, so I, I had like kind of did that, and then I was, you know, the band that I was in, we we got signed to Lakeshore Records, and then we went on tour with Canderia and Burnt by the Sun, and you know, we were like, we're gonna do it. You know, we're in this like van that had holes in it. It was just like rusted out, <laughs> shot. Yeah and then uh the band wound, wound up kind of breaking up you know i i quit i actually i quit the band because people weren't focused you know they were like smoking weed and drinking and and uh you know they weren't really they didn't want to make it you know and at the, the time i had a side project with doc and dallas from god forbid and um and I was kinda of doing a side hustle. I wasn't focused anymore because I didn't believe in the guys. And I and then I found out that Dino was looking for Dino from Fear Factory was yeah. looking for a singer. And I contacted him on MySpace one day. And I was at I was at Purple Light Studios in Brooklyn where uh where we had made our record and bands like candarian E Town Concrete and Hate Breed had recorded. Uh, and I messaged him and um he responded and I he sent me he sent me save yourself and the thread is real. And I went into a couple days later, I went into the studio with the drummer Kandiria. He had a, a recording studio, um, in Queens and Rockaway. And I recorded the demos there and sent them the Dino. And that's how, kind of how I initially got into divine heresy. Wow. Yeah. And then, I didn't really he, – he called me. He was like, you're in the van, dude. This sounds amazing, blah, blah, blah. He was super amped, and I was like, okay, cool. And basically I didn't hear from him for like a couple – like it was almost like a, a couple weeks. And he was like, listen, I'm doing the Roadrunner United. It's really important. Just sit tight. you know." And I was like, yeah, cool. So I used to work for the security company that ran those buildings, <laughs> and, I, and I, I broke in. I literally broke I broke into the rehearsals. And I wore my old security shirt (laughs) and passed through security like I was working and went upstairs to the rehearsals and then changed my clothes and then fucking hung out. (laughs) And Dino was like, What are you doing here? And I knew Shadows Fall and some of the guys in Kill Switch already and I knew Machine Head because I was in their music videos as a kid. I was like a oh, Super yeah? Machine Head fan. Cool. Yeah, so Rob Flynn yeah. had a show. He was playing a show at Irving Plaza the night that of the rehearsals and didn't want to sing. And so he knew I knew all the words. So he was like, yo, do you want to sing Davidian? And I was like, oh, yes, sick. sir. So at the rehearsal, I'm I'm jamming Davidian with Dino and Adam Deuce and Paul Gray and Joey Jordanson. And, you know, Scott Ian and Andreas Kisser from Sepultura. Wow. And they're like, they're like, who is this kid? So basically they're like, yo, they, they let me, they were like, yo, do you want to sing all the songs? And I was like, hell yeah. So I, I, they would play a song and I knew every single song.
0: Wow. That's and crazy. They,
2: yeah. Yeah. And then we did Surfacing by Slipknot and Corey Taylor saw he was, he had come in and was watching from side stage.
0: Wow, and what a story. He,
2: yeah, he came on stage, and he was like, dude, what the fuck? And I was like, oh, hey, man. And, you know." He's like, how did you do that? Because he was watching, and I would literally, I can change my screams and singing voice to match all the singers that I was co- copying because I taught myself how to sing of a fucking boombox with a microphone attached to it to the <laughs> records I love. Right. And that's how I learned how to do it. And well, then so he invite, he invited me to sing the show. And so I'm the only non Roadrunner alumni that performed at Roadrunner United, and then I then I officially the next day was in Divine Heresy and moved to LA. Wow, like, that was my audition for Dino.
0: Well, pretty pretty cool story, and, and and it's you know funny now looking back at at that how you met all those guys and you got this reputation, and now here you are uh, finally with your own project after you know filling in for Snot. Um, you know, filling in for Five Finger Death Punch, doing these other gigs to kind of get your name out there, and now it's like, all right, now I've got my own shit. So it really is kind of yeah. a cool, a cool story, but it's taken some time.
2: Yeah, it, t- it takes what it takes, you know. And and like you know what you know, essentially, I wound up moving to LA, and my you know I my own addiction issues caught up with me, you know, and so you know, kind of this this whole thing, that was the segue of me getting out of New York. Because for the longest time, I believed that my problems in life were because of where I was living. And I was like, if I could just get out of this neighborhood and move on, then I'd be fine. Um, And so I moved to L.A. and like, but I took all my problems with me, you know, and like doing drugs and drinking excessively when you're uh, when you're, you know, an infant who is the byproduct of a a mother who is an addict and and Abuse drugs and alcohol is not a good combination. It's almost like a sure bet. And so, you know, I did divine heresy, and I, and it was like I struggled through. You know, I, I was like drinking and partying, and I'd be sober for nine months, then I'd be drinking again. Me and Dino could not get along. You know, there's some things happen. I wound up, um, I got, I was engaged. My my ex fiance lost her child and i never really recovered yeah. and and, yeah, man. and the ba- the band kind of broke up or i left the band during you know through the infamous on stage fight with dino and then i had and and it was almost like that happened and then and losing the baby uh i had no reason to not destroy myself and I, I basically like went on a pretty rough run. I joined Snot. I was trying to keep up appearances, but deep down inside, I, I was suicidally depressed, and I was doing all kinds of drugs and just anything to numb, numb out. And I wound up getting sober. You know, I wound up, and I lost everything. I was homeless. I had no money. I had no. I didn't even have a bank account. No car. I didn't have a bicycle. And I wound up, Sonny from Snot him and his ex-wife moved me into their house and then I started going to, to, uh, to program stuff and getting sober and then they got helped me get uh, a scholarship to go to rehab and I basically went to a place called Genesis House and I lived there and it was like a rehab for musicians. It's, some, uh, some other notable artists had gotten sober there and, yeah. I, and mm-hmm. my whole life changed and I didn't do music for a whole year. You know, and then you know, as all these things are happening in my life, my brother is now um, selling drugs and getting you know getting arrested on gun charges. And your brother's still in
0: New York, or is he in L.A. now too?
2: No, he's in New York, and so he's he's in and out of prison, um, in in and out of mental institutions. You know, getting booked on various serious charges. um, Yeah. You know, there's rumors that of, of, you know, that he's he's kind of the rumors are going around. He's executed some people for some other people. Like it got really serious. He got really deep in the in the in like the crime kind of situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we were estranged. I don't know him anymore. Yeah. So, I, uh, you know, I wound up I I wound up staying sober. I stayed sober. Um, I got sober and stayed sober. I'm still sober. Good for you. I moved back. Yeah, and I moved back to New York uh, in 2010 uh, to start a band with Doc, of all things. <laughs> and uh, and one night, my brother had broken into my apartment. You know, he broke into I was I was staying with my family where my my family lives, and uh, he he broke in, and I kind of came into the house, and um, he was high, and he wanted me to help him murder somebody, and I was like, "You need to leave." Hmm. And uh, he went to my neighbor's garage and got a crowbar and uh, came up behind me and uh, fractured my skull. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I fought with him and I wound up um, – my arm broke and, you know, it was a nightmare. You know, I wound up – my spleen ruptured a few days later. Like, I basically made it to the hospital and I was discharged from the hospital and – um Slipknot's old tour manager brooke mclean took me in um and she had a place in new york city and i was i was living with her and uh like about five days after the assault my spleen ruptured in a restaurant and i i literally like bled to death and i was rushed to the hospital we you know it's, it's, it's it was a, it's a it's crazy you know what I mean? yeah it's, it's like absolutely those, crazy yeah it's one of those like kind of larger than life situations and you know, things got worse before they got better. You know, it was like I really had to um you know, me, Mia Tyler, Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith, his daughter Mia was a is a friend of mine and she drove from Massachusetts and picked me up when I got when I got out of the hospital and took me to her dad's house and her family took care of me while I recovered from surgery and I had like something like twenty staples from my chest all the way down to my, my belly, my head was wrapped up, my arm was all wrapped up. It was it was pretty intense. And um yeah,
0: damn, dude. Very intense.
2: Yeah, and uh, and then eventually, you know, I, I had to come back to testify against my brother. Uh, my brother found out that I testified on the grand jury. Most people don't understand how that works. Basically, like, if there's an, a crime, you have to go to the grand jury for the grand jury to assess whether a crime has been committed, and yeah. then it goes to trial. Yeah. So I testified on the grand jury, and my brother had bailed out of jail, found out that I had testified, and then took a contract out on my life. So he hired a hitman to murder me. So I went up, I was out, I was actually like, by the time I recovered from surgery, I was um, in this moment, asked me to sing backups with them on tour with Korn and Disturbed. So um, they had a song called The Promise, which was a single with with uh, Adrian Patrick from Otherwise. And there was some scheduling conflict. So they hired me and I went on this big tour. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm like, the craziness is over. I'm back on tour. I'm playing music in arenas. It's going to be fine. And as soon as I got home from tour, the police were at my apartment, and they took me and put me in witness protection.
0: Oh, my God.
2: Yeah. So I lived in witness protection for, like, the next nine nine months, I think. And I bounced around from, like, California to Florida. I stayed with um, Jason Sukoff and A.L. Levy at, um and Mark Lewis down at their place in Sanford. For a little bit and then I stayed with the guys in mutiny within in New Jersey and then the FBI finally called my brother um it was crazy and the the guy who was hired to kill me got murdered it was just dude. it's like no yeah it's gnarly Jeez, it's, dude. Like
0: a, it's yeah it's like out of a fucking movie it's you know it's it's yeah. just absolutely crazy
2: yeah wow so it's uh you know it all you know it all wound up kind of coming to a head and Um, you know, I came back to, I came back to the state I went to New York and, you know, I, and I, you know, got a job, started working again, you know, went into court, testified against my brother. Um, yeah, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. He, He got 17 years for attempted murder. Um, he tried to attack me in court, you know, it was, uh, very, uh, unnecessarily dramatic after everything that had happened. Right. And, um. You know, then you know, then I had been in survival mode for so long, I didn't actually feel. You know, like I remember, like some of my good friends are, uh, the, like one of my really good friends is Chris Santos. Um, he's a Food Network chef and he owns a couple restaurants. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I watched, I watched yeah. Food Network like 24 seven, so I'm, I'm all about it.
2: Yeah, he's one of the guys that really helped me through that time. He gave me a job and I used to work for you know, I was a door guy at one of his restaurants and and our other buddy Dave Dave Delzio is another nightclub owner in New York and I remember them telling me they're like, Man, you're handling this thing way too well and we're here if you need us, but and I didn't get it. I was like, I feel fine. Right. And and then basically once the trial was over, like I got all of my feelings kinda hit me at the same time. And I, like, I got suicidally depressed, like, for real. Like, I, I planned my own suicide. And, uh, you know, I was, like, in therapy for because I had PTSD. And I stopped going to therapy. And I stopped doing, you know, going to sober meetings and all that stuff. And, yeah. You know, it was, like, it's crazy. I, I talk a lot. I, I do a lot of public speaking about anti-suicide because basically my, my story was this, is that what it boiled down to is that, you know, I plan to commit suicide and i was gonna throw myself in front of a train and i went to the junction in brooklyn to the j train because it was above grounds and i knew if the train didn't hit if the if i didn't die from getting hit the fall would kill me and um basically the train was coming and i was like okay like i went there and i laid my suit on my mother uh, on my mother's spare bed for to be buried in and i went to go kill myself and uh on this particular day, the train was coming and my phone started ringing. I didn't recognize the number. And wow. uh, this kid, I, I answered the phone. I don't even know why. And uh, this kid picked up the phone and, and I picked up the phone and there was a kid on the other line and he was crying. And he was like, is this Tommy? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, "But well, I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> and uh, he was he's like, I need help. And he wound up. It was this dude who I knew, he was the singer of a punk band in the city, and he was like a heroin addict, and he had just OD'd, and he had OD'd the night before, and he knew that I was sober, and he needed me to help him get sober. So the train pulled into the station, and I got on the train, and I met him, and then I sponsored him. And now we're like, now he's like my little brother. He's been sober for like six years. Oh, good. He's that's, one of my best friends. That's incredible,
0: he, man. Like, I don't know if you're, if you at all believe in any kind of like spiritual stuff or anything, but that's like, that's those kinds of signs that happen in life are like, they, you know, it's the, like, it's like you, you wonder if there's got to be something bigger. Do you know what I mean? It's weird. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, I definitely believe in there's definitely something, some next level shit going on. You know what I mean? Because yeah, there's been multiple yeah. times. Yeah. There's been multiple times where I should not be here, you know what I mean, whether it was by somebody else or by myself, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and and almost like these innumerable measures in my life where there's so many times where I was like, how can I possibly go on? How can anything get better from this? And that's kind of my message to a lot of people yeah. uh, who struggle with depression and struggle well, And suffer is that it does get better if you exactly.
0: And I tell people, I tell you know, kids that too, because you have to understand a lot of people. I know you understand this, but but you know, um, a lot of people turn to music because music's the only thing that makes them feel better. And a lot of people are going to turn to bad wolves and and hear about your song and hear about your band and hear the passion, and then they're going to hear your story and they're going to be like, this guy was literally about to throw himself in front of a train and look where he is now with like you know, a song. Uh, chart-topping song, like you know, traveling the globe, doing all these incredible things, and you know, you brought up how you're doing some motivational speaking and helping, you know, um, celebrities and everything, you know, with you know to their own 12-step programs, all that stuff. You're, you're you know, you're really helping out and doing so much more. So it's it's an incredible story and a very inspiring story, and um, you know, you should be very proud. Of it. I hope you're doing okay because. You know.
2: Yeah, I'm doing good. It's, I'm, these, I'm, are the,
0: these are the kinds of things like people are helping everyone else, and then in, deep down inside, there's still there's still the darkness, you know. And, yeah. and it, but but it really is a beautiful thing what you're doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the confrontation of it is um, what I found is that um, when when those thoughts and feelings come up in me, it's that I need to immediately find someone else I can help who has it worse off than me. Right. Whether okay. it's like you know. And it's not like, you know, whether you go down and you volunteer to help feed the homeless or, you know, a lot of people are, you know, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade just committed suicide. And people are all like all of a sudden anti-suicide advocates when celebrities hurt themselves, you know, or take their own lives. But, you know, some of our own best friends are fucking depressed and we haven't called them in weeks. You know? Yeah. It's like it starts here. It starts right right around us. So you know? true man.
0: It's so a, it's true. like a
2: thing that's like not talked about, especially I feel like in America there's a massive prescription medication epidemic for people who are, who are struggling with depression when a lot of the times I was depressed is because I wasn't living life right. I wasn't living rightly, you know what I mean? And I'm sensitive. So my like my moral compass and the way that I am is very, very sensitive. You know, if I do the wrong thing, I feel like shit about it. And that's OK. That, that That's just how I am. Yeah. And sometimes we have to live, you know, we have to be an observance of ourselves. Sometimes being angry and being sad means, yo, you got to change something in your life. It's either you, you either change it in yourself or in your or in your surroundings, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's how to be happy. People always ask, like, like Heath Ledger was one of those guys who was—he's he, quoted because he's like, "Oh, how's work? Or how's this? Or how's that? How's your career? Or, how's your love life?" But no one asks if you're happy, yeah. you know. Because then we really got to answer the—you know—we really got to answer the question, and it's tough. Very tough. Yeah.
0: Well, damn, dude. Today I'm happy, dude. Well, good. Uh, uh th- th- <laughs> I Anthony, mean, thank you for this, and thank you for the the, the very inspiring talk. Um. Really, really great to have you. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we got to talk a little bit more about the band and, um, and you know, something kind of to segue into it a little bit is the first track, um, you know, you mentioned about your upbringing, about being biracial, um, and yep. you also mentioned, you know, your, kind of your, your kinship with Dolores, the first track, Officer Down, that really does speak to what's going on right now in America, um, you know, and, and obviously what you've been through it's it's really is an intense way to start the the new record or sorry your debut record i guess
2: yeah i mean well look the the song it's the the the, there's an intellectual design behind the song and that it's it, it is perceivable from two different directions yeah now you know to talk about to not talk about the fact that you know law enforcement or have, have shot and killed unarmed and innocent civilians of, of, of any race, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's like from being choked out, you know, in front of your apartment, African-American man, Eric Garner yeah. to the, to the guy who got, who just got killed, um, in Arizona, uh, the, for having a BB gun, a white dude, cause he went to pull his pants up while he was being you know what I mean being ordered to drag himself across a hotel floor uh it, it's the the issue is not being talked about you know what I mean and and to me the issue is that it's not all law enforcement it's specific personality types and people and profiles that they're not looking at that are not capable of doing police work right that's just that's to me that's the issue right you know what I mean and totally. so these incidents are are you know th- these incidents are basically the media is manipulating what's happening in order to create more drama and social disorder that creates more fear and more shit for them to cover. So the, if you watch the news and you see a bunch of stuff and you get upset about it, and then everyone takes to the streets, the, the news has a bunch of they have stuff to talk about for weeks. Yeah, and what they and they upsell their ad space. And, like, it's not okay. Like, look, my deal is this. You can't actually say to me all of anyone is bad. To say that all police are bad is is racism. It's just blue racism. Right, it's not. Right. It's a, in an individual issue. It's like saying all white people are like this or all black people are like this or all Asian people are like this. And this kind of mass media discrimination that – it creates more of the divide in our country, and we're not talking about solutions. And it's interesting to me because some people are so ignorant that they just they they side one way or another. And it, being ignorant is not good. You right. can't say you can't say that the police don't you know these police officers did not shoot and kill these innocent people because they did, and they don't have any consequences for it. You also can't say that all police officers shoot and kill people because everyone would be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you, make you, know? great,
0: you make a great point. I mean, totally, totally, man. But well, as,
2: lo- as long as the issues are convoluted and people aren't having intellectualized conversations about the true nature of the issues, we cannot find a solution. And the system is the problem. The right. police are workers in a system. The system needs to be on trial. The judicial system that allows for them to to make these kind of uh, you know if if any number of these police officers who wrongfully uh, committed homicide in the line of duty were put in jail, it would change a lot.
0: Well, that's that's part of the problem, and that's part of the problem why people paint all police law enforcement with the same brush because they all say, oh, well they all in the, in the end they all have each other's back, whether they should or not. Cause none of these police officers ever get convicted. You that's know, that's not
2: true yeah. though. That's not the case. I'm I, you know, for us, this is a, a highly controversial song where yeah. I've gotten de- death threats from idiots over this song. Sure. And I've had, I've had I, more than, more than 10 dozen police officers come up to me and say, thank you for talking about this. Right. You know what I mean? In a way that's not one or the other, in a way of reality. Right. You know? And the other issue is that the uh, you know the media created such a hysteria that it wound up taking people, uh, you know, that it wound up taking the lives of police officers who had nothing to do with any of this. When you look at the shootings right. in Brooklyn, uh, the execution, the cowardly execution-style shootings in Brooklyn where two cops were just sitting in their car executed from behind, and the same way with dallas with the with all the police with the five police officers who were killed and the seven other who were injured and all the other people because some guy went nuts because people believe the narrative right there's no journalistic integrity and you gotta understand some people are not well we're also talking about the mental health epidemic in this country that people are doing crazy things you know and they're believing what they see on tv anyone who is anyone tipping the scales anywhere near Schizophrenia or any kind of psychosis Like that they believe this stuff is reality
0: Totally man You
2: know anyway totally. so I could talk I could go on and on about no, this, dude, I, uh, I, I
0: and, and maybe we'll have to have you back for a, a part two at some point uh, You know maybe you know once you get going Album number two or, yeah. or you know more news comes with the band It's so good to have you man uh, Real quick let the people yeah. know what's coming up I know you're doing a bunch of headline shows You're doing I see Gramercy Theater In New York that must be cool for you uh, you know, yeah, being yeah, a New we'll York city kid, uh, and, and all these shows, uh, you know, shed tour with, um, with five finger death punch and breaking Benjamin. Uh, what else is yeah. going on? Uh,
2: I know that we have, well, we're, we're doing some of the Wimmer festivals like AfterShock, yeah. Yeah. coming up. And, um, I think, what is it? Uh, is it Rocklahoma We're doing, um, I don't have the list in front of me, but we're doing several things. And then we have, uh, we're in between. We we're on the fence, trying to figure out if we're going to go to Canada or Europe for November December. We haven't announced it yet because we haven't figured it out. So our agent is figuring it out this week. Cool. But so we will be we will be in either Canada or Europe for November December on a, an arena tour. That awesome. Is yet that is yet unspecified.
0: Very very cool, man. Well, hey, uh, thank you very much for uh, for your time and and where are you right now?
2: We are in, uh, where are we? King of Prussia on a day off at the mall and it's right outside Philadelphia, about 20 minutes or 30 minutes from Philly.
0: Perfect. Well, enjoy, enjoy a little bit of rest. I know you're tired. So, uh, yeah, man. Thank, thanks again, uh, uh, Tommy for everything.
2: All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate yeah, man. it.
0: I'll see you around. Cheers. So there it is with Tommy. What a guy. <laughs> so much there. Crazy stuff. Some of it pretty dark. But some of it also very uplifting and everything he's done now with his speaking and everything. I wish him all the best with that. And of course, ongoing continued success with Bad Wolves. Go see them. I heard they put on a ripping show. So if they're in your town, go check them out. Well, I don't want your veggie burgers and your veggie dogs getting cold out on the grill. Maybe your drink's getting a little warm in the sun. So head on back outside. Enjoy the rest of your 4th of July. But before you go, I will leave you with a tune and what else? I'm sure you've heard it, but let's hear it again. The emotion, the power, it's all here in this song. Here is Bad Wolves and their cover of The Cranberries Zombie. Peace and love. We'll see
1: you next week. child.